Thank you guys for that so much. Make sure I got us all kicking. Thank y'all so much for that welcome. Look, I don't have my hat on backwards and my shorts and my flip-flops today, and I did that intentionally. See, I've never been here before. You don't know me. I don't know you. And I was scared that I uh, came in here in my shorts and you saw my legs. You would be so focused on them, you wouldn't hear the message I had today. And so I was trying to keep you from going down that road. And it's not because they're that gorgeous. But what happens is they look a little bit like chicken and y'all get hungry. And so you'll be focused on what you're getting ready to do instead of what's getting ready to go down. Plus the fact that Pastor Jamie is out of town, so his house was available. And I may have helped myself to some of his clothes. So... <laughs> Next time y'all see him, just tell him I wore him better than he did. Um, now, look, it is phenomenal what God is doing here in, in Dixon. The, the great thing about Compassion is it's not just a church. It is a movement. It is a movement of God's people who said, you know what? We're not just going to sit in a room and stare at each other. We are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ into our community all over this country. And as we grow and we expand, it's not because we need numbers in a building. It's because we need to make an impact. There are people that are dying and going to hell, and we will not sit idly by and let the enemy ravage our homes, our families, and our communities. We are a movement of God. We are each called to play a role and participate and be a part. Not an observer of the movement, but a part of the movement. So that's my little plug for the Dream Team. Get involved, volunteer. You're welcome, Jamie. Oh, I know we don't know each other. So I want to tell you a little bit about me, and we'll walk this road together today. So back in 1990, I would have been in the seventh grade. So don't calc that up. If you want to know how old I am, just look at the receding hairline. You can guess. That's why I wear a ball cap backwards. I hadn't quite embraced this yet. 1990, I was in the seventh grade. In the seventh grade, I was a physical specimen to be admired. I mean, I was every bit of four foot seven, 78 pounds. I was impressive. Hold on, somebody giggled over here a little too hard at that. My feelings don't matter. I was a little kid. And unfortunately for me, I was in middle school. The middle school and the high school kids rode the bus together. And so every day, the bus would go to the high school, pick those kids up, it'd come by the middle school, get us, and then it would take us home. Well, when I would get on the bus, every day there was a guy that sat in the second or third seat, and he had to, because he was always in trouble. And every time I would come by him, he would pop me in the back of the head, or he would try to trip me or push me. And so he would do all that, and I would get by him by a couple of seats, and I would start mouthing off, because he did not realize that even though I was four foot seven and 78 pounds, I was pure, unadulterated solid mouth and I could talk with the best of them so he would pop me in the back of the head I would get just out of arm's length and I would start jawing man you big eared floppy headed sucker you better leave me alone don't get out that seat and the whole time I was talking junk I was making eye contact with the bus driver in that big old mirror and our bus driver was a mountain of a man his name was Stanley it left me for a minute his name was Stanley big old dude and so I would make sure Stanley was looking and I would start talking junk and if Stanley wasn't looking I'd shut up and go sit down I, I'm not an idiot so this kept going on back and forth day after day it kept building you ever been in a situation that keeps escalating and you know eventually it's got to come to a head like at some point in time it's just got to break well this situation kept building day after day week after week and I kept getting mouthier and he kept getting more aggressive I knew it was just a matter of time what I did not calculate was in my youth and in the naive young man that I was, I did not realize that there was a specific phrase that once you utter it, you can't take it back. 
and it is instant fight. Like, it's no doubt about it. Once you say this phrase, fist will be thrown. I was just ignorant. I was young. I was a child. I was way too innocent to be in this situation. I clear him one day. I'm mouthing off, and I make the mistake of letting this phrase fall out of my mouth. Yo mama. Look, I know it's old, but for centuries that has been fighting words. Nobody told me. Somebody should have clued me in that this could happen. As soon as I say, yo mama, this big sucker gets up off the seat. And I knew he was a big guy. I had no idea how big he was. It was like a total eclipse happened in the front of the bus. And fear grips my heart, and I start backpedaling. And we're going down the road at 45 miles an hour, but I'm calculating if I can survive the jump out the back door because I got to go somewhere. I am leaving here. I look around him to try to see if Stanley is looking back. He isn't. All I can see is the top of his head. So I'm back there doing jumping jacks trying to get Stanley's attention like, please see me. The guy thinks I'm trying to get my shoulders loose to throw. He has misinterpreted my whole intentions. I'm just trying to get away from this dude. He's closing ground. I'm screaming, trying to get Stanley's attention. I see his hand come back. I close my eyes and get ready for impact. He made a severe miscalculation. You see, I am not an only child. I know what y'all are thinking. Oh, Seth got a big brother. Nope. I got a five foot two inch, one year older sister. But she mean enough, you don't want nothing to do with that. And this guy did not catch out of the peripherals of his eye that he was getting ready to get hit. So he draws back. I close my eyes and all I hear is boom. And I'm like, oh, I ain't feel nothing. I open my eyes just in time to see him doing a matrix move and spit flying out of his mouth. My five foot two inch sister wrung his bail. All I know is the dude's over there for about 10 minutes trying to get his eyesight back together. He was seeing two of everything. The great thing is that the sound of her hand impacting his jaw got Stanley's attention. And so when I open my eyes, this dude is over there trying to get his self back together. My sister's done set back down like she's innocent. Stanley is hitting the brakes. We're stopping. What do I do naturally? I start talking junk. Yeah, dude, what you gonna do now? Come on, get some more. I don't know, I had evidently misjudged how hard my sister can hit because that dude didn't speak to me again for the rest of my high school career. He didn't look in my direction. He didn't even think about coming over and talking to me. My sister was not involved in the altercation. She had not started any of the incidents. She was not a part of the escalation. She had never even talked junk about it. She wasn't involved at all. She was going about her little business, being the straight-A student that she was and always making me look bad, and never got involved until that moment. She had no idea that that afternoon on the bus she would be in a fight. She had no idea what was coming. Didn't do anything to deserve it. Shouldn't have been in the middle of it. But she took up for her little brother when the moment came. Only time in my whole life she ever came through for me. But, you know, just kidding you ever been in a spot in life like that? You ever been in a spot where you're just going through life and everything seems fine and everything's going along and you hadn't really done anything to cause it or done anything to, to build any conflict, but all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a mess? Maybe it's a spouse that's having an affair that you all of a sudden find out about. Maybe it's a child that has an addiction that you all of a sudden know about. Maybe they're 
things going on around you. Maybe your business that you work for, the place you work closes, and now you find yourself unemployed. You had no idea it was coming, but bam, you walk right into the middle of a mess. I want to give you a story today out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to go back in 16 and pull a couple of facts, but it's mostly in 17. About a young man, and if you've been around the church world at all for any length of time, you've heard of his name. He's pretty famous. This story has been told to children for generations. Don't check out on me. I got some points in there I really want to give you that I think will kind of move us today. But there's a young man by the name of David. Now, if you go into Scripture and start doing some serious studying, you realize there's some things about David that don't often get pointed out. You see, David was the eighth son of a man named Jesse. He had seven older brothers. Can you imagine how much he got picked on? Seven older brothers? On top of that, he had a different mom than all of them. See, if you look in the Chronicles, it says David's mother's name and his brother's mother's name was different. So he was a half-brother. On top of that, David himself writes about it in Psalms about the fact that he was conceived in sin and born in iniquity, which leads us to believe that his dad may not even been married to his mom when it happened. It would explain why his daddy was embarrassed by him. You see, there was a king in Israel named Saul. And Saul had started doing his own thing. He was no longer doing what God had called him to do, so God decided to anoint a new king. And there was a man that lived in Israel. His name was Samuel, who was a prophet of God. He was God's go-between to the people. God told Samuel to go anoint a new king. He sent him out to Jesse's house. And when Samuel gets there, he says, Jesse, bring all your boys in. One of them is going to be the next king of Israel. Jesse didn't even bother to bring David in. He brings all the other sons through and every one of them. Samuel says, man, this must be hit, it. And God says, no, that's not him. And they pass by. When they get to the last one, Samuel looks at Jesse. He says, do you happen to have another son? And Jesse said, well, oh, yeah, the one that's out there keeping the sheep. This time, David would have been 9, 10, 11 years old. When he comes in, God tells Samuel, this will be the new king of Israel. And he anoints him king. As soon as David is anointed king, you know what happens? He gets sent right back out to keep the sheep on the backside of the wilderness. See, just because you now become aware of a calling in your life, it does not mean instantly all your circumstances and situations will change. Do not judge God's hand on your life based on your circumstances. Look, you may have had an encounter with God that shifted everything in your world, and then you wake up the next day and everything looks like it did the day before. Don't discount the anointing in your life because your circumstances and situations did not change. I like that. Y'all going to shout over that one. We're going to get going here in a minute. David finds himself back on the, on the backside of the wilderness keeping sheep. A couple of years pass in a neighboring country. The Philistines invade Israel. They come into Israeli territory... Well, the army of Israel, the king who is still there, Saul has no choice but to go out against them. So they come to this valley of Elah, E-L-A-H. And on one side of the valley is lined up the army of the Philistines, and they're in full battle array. They've got on their helmets, their breastplates, they've got their swords, their shields. They are ready for this fight. The Israelite army lines up on the other hill, and look, hills in Israel are different. They don't have trees all over them. It's just scrub brush and rocks. So they're on opposite hills over top of this valley that has a small creek in the middle. And they can see each other, they can hear each other, but they can't get to each other. This is the situation that David finds himself in and his dad comes to him one day and says, 
hey David, he would have been about 13 years old at this point. I want you to take these 10 loaves of bread, this roasted barley, and this cheese over to your brothers. Of course, for a kid that age, absolutely, Daddy, because he gets to go see the battle. He knows that they are lined up. He's excited. Man, what kid that age wouldn't be? He sends him out. Well, David goes and shows up at the, the site of the battle. When he gets there, there's a man out there keeping the luggage who's watching all the stuff, and he gives the bread and the cheese to him, and he runs ahead to see what's going on. When he gets there, he can hear a man over on the other hill yelling and talking junk. How many of you know the enemy is great at talking smack? He will get in your ear before he gets in your head, and then he gets in your heart. The enemy is on the hill talking smack. David said, what's up with this guy? And a guy in the army starts explaining it to him. For 40 days, that man has come out and taunted us. For 40 days, he has stood on that hill and talked junk about us and our God. He said, that is the champion of the Philistines, and he's huge. It says he is six cubits and a span. Understand a cubic is a, a measurement between 17 and 22 inches. It's not an exact measurement. And a span is the width of a man's hand, about nine inches. So he is somewhere between eight and a half and ten and a half feet tall. This is a massive man. And he comes out and he stands every day and he says, look, I am the champion of the Philistines. You send out your champion and we will fight. And if your champion wins, we will be your slave. But if I win, you will be our slaves. For 40 days he's done this. And then he starts to talk about the fact that they can't do it, they can't win, that their God is wimpy. He talks all this junk. David gets riled up. And then the man says this. If you go out and fight that giant, the king has made a promise. To any man who goes out and fights him, here's the promise. You will be rich. That ain't bad. I'll take some money. You will get one of the king's daughters for a wife. And that's a 50-50 shot. He may have ugly daughters. We have no idea. The third one, and I think this is why David went to fight. I believe this is what got David in the battle. You and your household will never have to pay taxes again. I'm just saying. I mean, no taxes for me or my household ever? Hmm. I've taken worse deals in my life. So he tells him that. As he's explaining that to him, David's older brother realizes David's at the battle line, and he comes over and he says, what are you doing here, and why did you leave those few little sheep out in the wilderness? Notice what his brother did. He demeaned him instantly. He said, I know you're arrogant and prideful. You just came here to see the battle. David said, man, what have I done? Is there not cause for me to be upset? David turns and goes and finds someone else. I want to make a point right here. Why was David's brother so upset with him? It was because David did not show the proper respect and fear for the enemy in his brother's eyes. His brother thought, if I am terrified of that giant, you should be terrified of that giant. His brother said, all the other fighting men, all the men of war of Israel are scared to death of that giant. For you not to be means you're arrogant and you're prideful. You don't show enough respect for that. I want to tell you something. In your life, when you get to the place God is calling you past everybody else's understanding, they're going to take shots. And it's not that they're mad at you. Sometimes they'll even come from the people closest to you. What it is is they are convicted because you are not showing fear that is within them. 
the whole army of Israel had gotten comfortable in their fear. It was easier to stay there fearful and bound in than it was to go face the giant. David didn't have that fear. Watch David, though. He did not talk junk back to him. David didn't even throw rocks at him, which later in this story we realize David's pretty good at. He turned and walked away. The best thing you can do when someone is trying to talk you out of the calling God has put in your life is turn and walk away. I'll show you why later in this story you're going to need them. David goes on and finds another guy. That, the next guy does the exact same thing, tells him the exact same story. Walks all the way through, all the way even to the point of telling him exactly what you get. You get wealth, you get a daughter, you get no taxes for you and your family. How does the whole family, even the brother who's mad at him, get the benefits of the giant David's got to face? You know you can kill giants, slay giants, so your kids don't have to. Did you know that you can beat things that may have plagued your family for generations so your children don't have to? Do you know the victories you win in your life will resonate for generations? You need to face the giants God has put in front of you so your kids don't have to. There is a responsibility to beat those giants so they don't get passed on. David hears the same story from another man. He tells him, I'll go face the giant. For real? Yeah, I'll go fight him. They run him to the king. The king was hiding in his tent because he was terrified too. Attitude always reflects leadership. The men were scared. Why? Because the leader was scared. Oh, there's a great point right there. We thought, sorry, God just gave this one to me. We thought that Saul was the king of the army. And David was still a shepherd boy. But see, the real leader is the one who's willing to go face the problem head on. And the people will always naturally follow the one who's willing to run into the fight. Title does not make you a leader. Purpose makes you a leader. David said, I'll fight him. They take him to the king. And the king looks at him and he says, you can't fight him. You're nothing but a boy. And then David has to clarify who he is. He said, when I was keeping my daddy's sheep on the backside of the wilderness, a bear came, tried to kill a sheep, I killed him. A lion came and ran off with a sheep, I grabbed him by the mane and I killed him. Just as God, the God of Israel, has given the bear and the lion into my hand, so will he give me this Philistine. And evidently he was pretty confident in his speech because the king said, well, all righty then. That sounds like a good plan to me. I don't want to go fight him. And he starts putting a helmet on him and a breastplate on him and straps a sword on him and says, there you go. And David walks around with it and he said, I cannot fight in this. This has not been proven. Don't you ever go into a spiritual conflict or battle wearing somebody else's armor. You cannot survive a spiritual fight on grandmama's prayers, on daddy's Bible reading, on somebody else's relationship. You got to be armored up in your stuff. And you know your stuff is tested because God has brought you through different battles. David was not afraid of the giant because God had been faithful to him over the bear and over the lion. See, it is the past battles that you have fought that prepare you for the current one. And it is preparation for the next one. The problem is the process. The anointing on David's life had happened at 9 to 10 years old. But the process to make him king with all the problems he must face. You cannot have the promise without the problem and the process. But well, that's three good P's. Somebody will use that somewhere. 
stumbles around in it. He said, this stuff's not been proven. I can't fight in this. You can have it back. I'm going out and what I know works. So David heads off with a rock and a rag. And I don't know about y'all, but that looks a little stupid. Not only does it look a little stupid, the giant on the other hill thought it was stupid. David leaves the battlefield of the Israelites, starts down the hill, and the giant starts talking junk. Who do you think I am that you would send this little boy to run me off as though I am a dog? That I'm just nothing? You're just going to scare me off with this little kid? Who do you think I am? And David's walking down the hill and the giant is talking. All the way down the hill, you know who David is? He's a shepherd. He's been a shepherd. He's been the watcher of his daddy's sheep. He is a shepherd. He gets down to the bottom of the hill and there's a creek and he stops and he bends down. He picks up five rocks. Why did he get five? We'll get back to it. Picks up five rocks. When David is at the bottom of the hill picking up five rocks, David is a shepherd. But the moment he looks up the hill and sees Goliath and takes one step up the next hill, my man is a warrior. It is at the point of decision that you decide to meet the enemy head on that you shift from being a shepherd, one who reacts to what happens to them, to a warrior, one who pushes the action. No longer is Goliath David's problem, now David is Goliath's problem. When are you going to decide to be the enemy's problem in your life? Quit playing defense and start playing some offense. It is time to start stalking the enemy and get him out of the areas of your life he does not belong. David starts going up the hill towards Goliath. Now look, Goliath didn't come out alone. It said that Goliath would come out every single morning with his armor bearer, which means some dude would stand in front of Goliath holding a shield, and Goliath would stand behind him talking junk. Why? Because there was real fear in Goliath's heart. See, it takes a real man to stand alone. Goliath had to bring some backup. Well, look, you stand up here and make sure nobody hits me with anything. I'll stand behind it and talk smack. David starts up the hill. Goliath starts towards him. David starts closing ground. Step after step. Speed is coming in. Doom, doom, doom. He's moving towards him. As he's moving towards him, David loads a rock. As he lets the rock go, the Bible doesn't say that David stopped and waited for the giant to fall. He kept closing ground. He kept running towards the giant as though he had anticipated the moment he would hit the ground. This is how much audacity this young man had. Before he let the stone go, he looked up at the giant and he said, Today I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed y'all's carcasses to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the field. The giant looked at him and was like, This dude done lost his marbles. He a little kid. He don't even have a sword. How's he going to cut my head off? We missed the fact. David was the sword in the hand of an almighty God. When are you going to determine to be the sword? When are you going to be willing to use your story as a weapon, the things you have been through as the place of encounter with the enemy and quit reacting to his attack and start being the one that's initiating the conflict? David's closing ground as the rock is in the air. He's still running towards him. Somewhere in that exchange, the armor bearer up front looks at that dude and said, man, that cat's serious, I'm out. He said, if that little kid's going to run at that big dude, I don't want nothing to do with him. In your life, if you will hit the giant's head on, you'll never have to fight the peripheral fights. The little skirmishes in your life will disappear if you'll kill the giants. The rock hits Goliath. Goliath, he gets hit in the head and falls. The sound of him falling. Watch what happens. 
the Israelite army, the Bible says they got up. What what they been doing? If they got up, it means they was like this. That little kid going to get killed. I can't watch that. I'm not looking. They were probably eating cheese sandwiches. I'm glad he dropped his bread and cheese off before he went up that hill. I was getting hungry. They didn't even bother to watch the battle that was taking place. They were so sure he was going to die on that hill, they had checked out. There are people in your life who are so used to watching you get beat that they no longer are concerned with the battle you're fighting. They're not, no longer watching. They are sure you are going to die. Don't care what they think. David never looked back to see if the army was standing behind him. He didn't care because he wasn't going because the army was behind him. He was going because his God was with him. Go into the fight. The giant hits the ground. The army of Israel stands up. It says they let out a battle cry and they came down across the field. They came in and wiped out, annihilated the Philistines. Told you you were going to need them. The reason David didn't throw rocks at the doubters and the naysayers is because he would need them to occupy the territory he was getting ready to conquer. Don't take shots at the people around you who are walking every day trying to serve God, even if they don't believe in your vision and your dream, even if they aren't tenacious enough to go running into the fight. You're going to need them in a moment to occupy the territory you were taking for the king. It's what compassion is called to do in the church world. We are the stormers of the hilltops. We are the ones who are supposed to kill the giants and inspire others to run in. And we don't take shots at other believers and other bodies of believers around them because we're going to need each other to occupy the territory. Our job as a movement of God is to be the first one down the hill and to be willing to close ground on the enemy while the rock's still in the air. It is who we are called to be. Watch what David does. He pulls the sword out of Goliath's sheath and cuts that dude's head off. Don't you defeat a giant in your life and leave them wounded on the ground so they can gather themselves and get up and you got to fight them again. Kill that sucker. If there's a temptation in your life you are battling with over and over again, don't wait for it to rear its head again. Cut it off in the power of the Lord God Jehovah. Take it. He picks the giant's head up, that big old melon head of the giant. He picks it up and holds it as a trophy of the fact I will never fight this giant again. This one will never haunt me again. I will never wake up in fear of that one again. It is mine and it's over. Then he takes the giant's armor, walks back across the hill and puts it in his tent. Why? Because it wouldn't be the last giant he would face. And he wanted to be able to look at that armor as a reminder my God was faithful. He brought me past the lion and the bear. He let me slaughter this giant, and the next one will fall just as quick as this one did. When you have big breakthroughs in your life, have memorials. It's why we have Hope Center graduation. That's a moment of defeating a giant. Honor it and know I ain't going back there. I ain't fighting that one no more. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, man. What is in your life today that the enemy is using to taunt you over and over again? Stand to your feet. I want to see some giant slayers rise up in Dixon, Tennessee. This says, I am not afraid of whatever the enemy can throw at me because I am going and not in my strength, but in the power of my God. And he is faithful and true.
He never leaves me nor forsakes me. He walks with me in every valley, in every shadow. But today, for some of you, is a point of decision. Today is the point of decision. Am I going to follow Christ with everything in me or am I going to play this game? A point of decision, am I going to live my life in fear, hoping the enemy just doesn't come after me, or am I going to attack that sucker? Am I going to be willing to become a warrior? I want you to notice that wasn't the end of David's process. David became a warrior for over 30 years on his way to being king. But every problem that popped up, every failure that came into his life was preparation for the purpose In this room are men and women who are called to make a difference. In this room are men and women who are called to be more than just status quo and going through the motions. Please don't let the problems that pop up deter you from the purpose God has for your life. Please don't let those things get you off track. Understand the enemy is coming at you and throwing them up, but God will use every one of them to produce in you the attributes and the character you will need to reach your full potential in the kingdom. Don't stop short. Please don't stop short. Don't let the fear of your family or the people around you keep you from your calling. See, in this room was the next generation of pastors. In this room is the next generation of worship leaders. In this room is the next generation of evangelists. And you say, evangelist? No, I'm not just talking about going church to church preaching. I'm talking about going job to job, day to day, every moment speaking the truth of who Jesus Christ is and how he loves us. And he won't forsake us. He'll never leave us. And your story is your weapon. The things God has brought you through is evidence of his faithfulness, just as David conveyed that to King Saul. Conveying that to those around you is evidence that God doesn't quit on any of us. None of us. Today, you are in the valley of decision in Elah. And you've got to decide how many stones are you going to pick up. Understand the great battle in front of you is not the last one you'll fight. You'll fight them your whole life. But you can fight them on the enemy's terms or you can fight them on yours. Today is your moment to decide. Maybe you know Christ, but you've been getting the brakes beat off you lately. Maybe you're in the midst of a situation and a circumstance you had nothing to do with, you didn't create, but it's at your front door and you're dealing with it right now. King is here, and he makes all the difference in the world. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in this place today, as we are your children, Lord, and just as you used a 12, 13-year-old little boy in this moment to bring freedom to the whole nation of Israel, God, I pray that you will use us to bring freedom to our communities, to our families, to our friends. Lord, as we tell them of who you are and your faithfulness and your love for us, And may we realize the struggles and the difficulties we're going through in this life. Lord, they're just the process to make us into who we're supposed to be in you to help us reach our full potential. Lord, I pray that none of us will settle in a place of comfort, but every one of us will push into that place of promise. May we always run to the enemy.